I better get up for church. Go to live.acchurch.org. Sweet. Made it. Just in time. <laughs> Welcome to Arlington Countryside Church. My name's Simon. I'm one of the youth pastors here, and I'm very glad that you were here. Here at ACC, we are leading people to experience new life in Jesus Christ, and we're going to do that today through song, musical worship, through a message, hearing from God's Word, and from giving and from taking communion together. Uh, but before we get to all that fun stuff, if you could fill out your communication card, that's extremely helpful for us to stay connected as a church family. Uh, a couple things you can do on there. You can mark if you are new, and that's an excellent way so we can help you get connected. Um, secondly, there is a place you can put prayer requests, whether private for the, just the staff and others or public, uh, so our whole family can pray with you. Um, also on the communication card, if you are a parent with kids who wants the resources and tools to do Sunday school with your kids at home, but you don't yet have that, mark that on your communication card. We can get you in contact with Pastor Chris, who's our family pastor here, and he can get you those resources and information. Next, here's a really cool thing that we are super excited about is uh, the last two weeks of the series that we're in. We're in traction and we're talking about spiritual disciplines that help us gain traction, gain momentum in our walk with Jesus. In the last two weeks, we haven't decided the topics. What? Yes, because you are going to decide the topics by voting. And so we're going to have a link sent out to you through email and you can vote on what spiritual disciplines you want to discuss in the last two weeks of the series. We are super excited to have your input on this series. Uh, let's head to worship.
Have you sang that song before? Or have you heard that song before? I've been singing this song personally for a long time, and it's always been an encouragement to me, though at first I didn't really understand what it meant. I didn't understand a lot of it, so I had to seek out guidance, and uh, I think I found the answers here in Luke 15, starting at verse 3. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness to go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. So, Let's go back to these lyrics we sang. In tenderness he sought me. Not, God was angry because we wandered away and he was looking for us to discipline us. It says, in tenderness, in love, he came after us because he wants relationship with us. And on his shoulders brought me back to his fold again. Uh, Fold is another word that I didn't understand. So I looked it up and found out about how it is the just basically a sheep pen just a place for shepherds to keep their sheep safe at night um and uh, a shepherd was a pretty common job when jesus was uh, ministering to these people when he was telling these parables that we're reading now so this was a way for him to relate to those people and help them understand that like sheep we as humans uh wander from the safe place that is with god um but while angels in his presence saying This is from Rejoice With Me, for I have found my lost sheep. God loves us, because, not because we've earned it or because we deserve it, but because he loves us abundantly and because he is love. So we're going to keep singing of that together. spoke a word you were singing over me you have been so so good to me before I took a breath you breathed your life in me you have been so so kind Don't deserve it Still you give yourself away 
mountain you won't climb up coming after me There's no wall you won't kick down Lie you won't tear down coming after me There's no shadow you won't light up Mountain you won't climb up This is Chris Majeski. I'm the family pastor here at ACC. I'm glad you're tuning in with us. Uh, we're continuing on in our series called Traction. Uh, we're spending a few weeks here looking at different spiritual disciplines, ways that we can engage in our faith, our own personal faith development. Uh, and so looking at some different tools that God has given us for how we can connect with Him and how we can grow. I'm excited about this series. You know, when Dave and I talked about this series over, must probably over six, eight months ago, it was back in the fall, we talked about this, uh, and, and we were planning for this and saying, you know, this would be a great way to come out of Easter and help our people to be growing in their faith and, and engaging in different practices. As so many people with spring are looking at new habits and new life and things like that. So I'm excited about this. Anytime I can equip people to grow and to take on their own, uh, their, their own faith development, I'm excited about that. I love doing that. By nature, I'm, I'm, I'm a mentor and a coach, and so this puts me in a place where I I can really coach, uh, coach you up a bit and help you uh, consider how you can uh, take ownership of your faith and to be growing. Um, and so, and also as, as I think of this, I'm just, I'm really, I'm, I'm, in, I'm just, I'm just struck with God's sovereignty and how he is at work in all of this. The timeliness of this series, as we are at a, at a stay at home season of life right now, uh, this quarantine life we're living, uh, I, we're, we're alone and, and, and we're, we can't be all together. Uh, and so uh, there's ways that we can be investing in our own personal spiritual life and how necessary that is right now is so much our world is unstable and unsure and rocky. We have a firm foundation in Christ and so we can draw near to him and that can provide safety and security in this time. Uh, and so we have an opportunity before us. Uh, in this season, we have an opportunity before us to develop our interior life and to develop our personal spiritual health. So I'm excited about this series, and I hope that, uh, I hope that it'll be a real blessing to you. So by way of review, I've been talking about spiritual disciplines, and uh, Dave defined that for us last week as any activity that can help you gain power to live life like Jesus taught and modeled. Any activity that can help you gain power to live life like Jesus taught and modeled. And so these are different things that we do that can help us become more like Jesus. And so uh, a, a sub point of that is that the disciplines, disciplines place us before God so that he can transform us. They place us before God so that he can shape us and make us more like Jesus. He's in the process of transforming us to be more like his son. And then there are two types of disciplines. There's disciplines of abstinence, and then there's disciplines of engagement. Uh, abstinence disciplines involve denying yourself something, uh, refraining from doing something in order to commune with God. Uh, and another thing that the abstinence di disciplines do is they often reveal to us what's going on under the surface. 
when we slow down and take something away that we typically do, it has a way of bubbling to the surface something that's been going on that we've maybe been unaware of. And so they, have a, uh, they serve us in that way. They, they bless us in that way. Uh, th and then, of course, the, the disciplines of engagement involve adding something, uh, participating in an activity that helps you to commune with God. Uh, and these are typically what we think of when we think of spiritual disciplines. For most of us, we think of Bible reading, praying, worship, uh, uh, things like that. And so, uh, so that's what we're talking about this morning is actually a discipline of engagement. And we're talking about Bible saturation. You know, the Bible is the number one selling book of all time, like hands down, the number one selling book of all time. Uh, and, and we live in a time where the Bible is more readily available to us than any other time period in history. Many of us have multiple Bibles in our homes, and most of us have these tiny little computers in our pockets that have the Bible on our, at our fingertips whenever we want. Uh, and so the Bible is everywhere. And, and, and I think it would be worth us asking the question, why? Why is it everywhere? What is so important about this book? And what makes it so special? Well, we believe that this book is the Word of God. We believe that it's His letter to us, that it's accurate, and that it's without error in its original text. And so we read the Bible in order to learn about God. It's His Word. It's what He's said to us. It communicated to us. And so we read about it to learn. We read it to learn about Him. Uh, and, and, and we learn about His interaction with humanity throughout history. We, we see His plan of redemption, of how He's going to redeem us and save us. We see his promises that he makes to us, and we learn about his character. And so if we want to know God better, and if we want to be more like Jesus, we need to engage in God's word. And so it's no mistake that this is the first discipline we're talking about. Uh, this is the primary thing we've got to be doing. We've got to be engaging with God's word. If we want to be more like Jesus, we need to be looking at what God has said about, about himself and about Jesus. And so reading your Bible is the most important way that you can develop your personal relationship with God. And, and, and that makes sense to me, really. When we think about it's the most important way that we can develop our relationship with God, because it makes sense to me because it's true. It's, it's God's word. It's truth for us. And so we want to build our life on, on truth, on the author of, you know, the, we should go to the author of truth, right? He wrote this. We should go to him. We want to build our lives on that. Um, and so uh, if, if, if this book wasn't true, it wouldn't be worth basing our lives on. And in fact, if it wasn't true, it wouldn't lead us closer to God. It would actually lead us further away from him. But it is true. And how do we know that? Well, the Bible makes some pretty big claims about itself. So let's just look at a couple of those. In Psalm 119, verse 160, it says, the very, that, that this is speaking of God's word, the very essence of your words is truth. All your just regulations will stand forever. The very essence of God's words are truth. And all of his regulations, all of his rules, all of the things that he's put in place, all of these things will stand forever. And in John 17, verse 17, this is Jesus speaking. And he says this, he says, make them holy by your truth. Talking about his disciples. He says, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. And then, of course, in 2 Timothy 3.16, which we're going to look at in just a moment, but it says that all Scripture is inspired by God. And the actual word used there is breathed out by God. It's not just some good idea that some people wrote down. Uh, it's not a philosophy that some humans came up with. Its origin is from God. But now we would be foolish to just believe that the Bible's true because it says so. That would just be nonsense to say, well, it says it's true, so it, it must be true. I mean, consider this. If you were walking down the street and a man stopped you and said, hey, let me hold your wallet. I'm trustworthy. Would you believe him? I imagine you wouldn't. I imagine you'd think, uh, I don't know you at all. I don't know that you're trustworthy. Even though he says he's trustworthy, I don't, I don't believe that you would, be, you would uh, believe that he's trustworthy. In fact, you might even say, show me some proof. All right, well, I don't know what's going on here, but show me some proof that you're trustworthy. I want to know you more. I want to get to understand you. I want to, I want to connect with you and, and, and see if you really are trustworthy. And so that's what we can do with the Bible as well. It says it's true, and we can put it to the test. 
We can look at it and we can, we can consider objectively, is this really true? And so when we do that, we can see some pretty clear evidence that it is. So we can, we can look at historically. Is it, reliably, is it reliable historically? Uh, see, the Bible speaks about historic events. And so we can go to those historic events and look at other, we can look at other, uh, other books and, and, and research and writings and things like that, other records of those historical events to check it out. And when we do that, we see that the Bible holds up. It checks out. That when it talks about certain times in history, the other records in history indicate the same thing. And so what it's telling us there is that it's accurate. It's reliable. Another way that we can test it out, and this is, this is, this is more profound, I believe, and, and, and more, more powerful, is we can consider the fulfilled prophecies. A prophecy is some, uh, something that, that, uh, that the Bible says would happen, and then, it, and, and then we see if it actually did, right? So sometimes these things were said hundreds or even thousands of years beforehand. Things that it says would happen in the future. And so some of these are very, very detailed. Very, very detailed. And so we can look at these prophecies to say, it said this would happen, did it actually happen? And over and over again, we see that they did. We see that, that, uh, that, that, that the Bible is full of these prophecies that actually came true, that fulfill, it fulfills these prophecies, right? Uh, and so this is huge. We're talking about thousands of fulfilled prophecies here, not just one little thing, not some obscure thing, very detailed prophecies, thousands of them that are fulfilled. So the odds of all of these prophecies being fulfilled that's like astronomically small. It's mathematically illogical to say that it was just luck that those things happened. So we can see that the Bible says these things that would happen, these prophecies, hundreds or even thousands of years later, and those things actually did happen. They came true. And so this tells us that it's truthful. So we see historically it's reliable and accurate. We can also see that it's telling the truth. So this is one of the this this is this is one of the things that, that sets the the Bible apart from other holy books. It doesn't just give moral teaching and then say trust me on that, right? We can actually test it and when we do it holds up to scrutiny. And so we should be reading the Bible because it's it's it, it's truthful and and it's valuable for us. And and what we see too is that it teaches us. 2 Timothy 3:15 through 17 says you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. So this is the Apostle Paul speaking to Timothy here. Timothy is leading churches and, and, and Paul wants to encourage him and equip him to continue on in the good work that he's doing. And so what does he do? He reminds him of the power of the scriptures. And he says here that, that we, we see from this passage here from many different things, three different things that I want us to see from it here right now is that, is that it teaches us about God. The scriptures teach us about God. And it says here in, in, in this, this passage that it teaches us what is true, that this God-breathed scriptures, these God-breathed scriptures, they teach us what is true, and God is that author of truth, and so it's teaching us about Him. The scriptures teach us about ourselves. Uh, it says here that it helps us to realize what is wrong in our lives, and it corrects us. We don't naturally know God. And so we need the scriptures to teach us. We also are naturally self-deceived. We believe lies all the time. And we need some perspective from the, on that. We need outside perspective. And God gives us that outside perspective here. And so it teaches us about ourselves. It teaches us about our condition. And it teaches us about our need for a Savior and many other things. And the third thing we see is that it teaches us how we should relate to God and to others how we should relate to God and others. It says that, that there's wisdom to receive salvation, how we should relate to God. He's created a way for us to have salvation, to, to, to be redeemed and restored to him. And the scriptures teach us that. It teaches us to do what is right as we interact with one another. And it equips us for every good work. As we, so it teaches us how to care for and serve and love those around us. And so a common objection often about the Bible why would we let this ancient book teach us? Why would we let this, this outdated ancient book tell us how to live our lives today? 
You know, people believe that it's, we live in a totally different context, which I would agree with. We do live in a very different context, but they say, because we live in a different context, this book doesn't really apply to us. It's outdated. And I would argue, yeah, our, our context is different for sure, but the Bible is just as relevant today as it was when it was written. God hasn't changed. Because he's the author of life and the creator of the world, he makes the rules. Things have changed, but he has not. So his principles and his purposes, no matter what context we're in, they still apply. And so because he's the author of it all and he's in charge of it all, he reigns over all creation, he hasn't changed, so his word is still relevant. But also, I would argue that the nature of mankind hasn't changed. That we look differently externally than previous times, but really the heart of humankind is the same as it's always been. And so though our context looks different, the Bible still speaks to our day today because it's full of timeless principles and truth that is absolute. And so we believe this book is true. And if you have doubts, I'd invite you to read it for yourself. I'd invite you to look into that. Put it up to the test. Take it, take it, for its, take it at its face value and see, does, is it really true? Look, at, look into it for yourself. So you may doubt the law of gravity, but if you start experimenting on that, you'll find out some truth, right? And so, but we believe the Bible is true. And if you were wondering about that, explore for yourself and see, I believe that if you engage it with an open heart and mind, that God will reveal himself to you and he'll reveal his truth to you. So let me encourage you to dig in and read for yourself. Check it out. And so we believe that the Bible helps us to know God better. As we engage with this truthful book, we believe it helps us to know God better. But the goal isn't just knowledge. It's not just knowing things about God. We're not just trying to gain information here. Romans 12.2 tells us this. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So if left to our own thinking, if we just copy the behaviors and customs of this world, just go along with the flow there, we would come to some very different conclusions about ourselves and about the world around us. We need to let God shape our thoughts and our lives so that we can know the truth. We, as we understand his truth, he changes us and shapes us to be more like Jesus. That's the ultimate goal. It's not just knowledge, but transformation that we're after. We want to know God so that we can then put into practice what he's told us about himself and about how we should live in this world so that we can be more like Jesus. It's transformation that we're looking for. So how do we do this? How do we engage with God's word in a way that will help us know God and be transformed to be more like Jesus? How do we do all that? Well, Dave suggested several points about Bible saturation last week. I want to walk through a couple. I want to walk through those briefly. And it starts with reading. Reading the Bible. Reading for understanding, spending time in it frequently, familiarizing yourself with God's story to us. And, and the frequency, daily is best, right? Daily is best. And, and, and if you can't do that, more than what you're currently doing is better than nothing, right? Just take steps to get into it more frequently. Reading the Bible regularly. Understanding what God has communicated to us. We can look at Joshua 1.8. It talks about, uh, about this as well, about, about how we are to engage with God's word. And it says this. Uh, Dave read these verses a couple weeks ago, actually, in, in a sermon. And so uh, Joshua 1.8. Study the book, this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so, that, so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Study this book of instruction. Meditate on it day and night so that you can be sure to obey everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. So moving from just reading for understanding to how do we take it deeper into our hearts and minds, these next ways of engaging with scripture do that. They help us to dig in a little deeper and take it uh, deeper into our hearts and minds. And the first one is study. 
And so using different resources, acquiring greater insight, uh, some of the books that I have on the shelf behind me do that. They help us to study, but even just a good study Bible will help you do this. It'll give you some notes in the bottom or, 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 or in the, the side margin, and, and it'll tell you some things about that, some historical context and, and some other verses that you can look to about that topic. And so digging in and studying more, not just reading to understand what happened, but saying, what does this really mean? And what, what, what do I take from this? How does it apply to my life? Uh, a next one is, is memorization. Uh, committing verses or passages to memory. Uh, hiding God's word in your heart. Uh, it can be a great way of, of, taking, uh, of, of digging, uh, digging in on God's word and, and, and bringing it into, in, into, your, into your heart and into your soul. Is committing some verses to memory. Uh, we have a ministry here called Awana for kids where they're learning Bible verses and memorizing them and hiding away God's word in their heart. The beauty of memorizing scripture is that it then is there for you some other moment when you can call on it. You're in a situation and that verse pops to mind and you remember, oh, I remember what God's word says about that. You remember his truth in that moment. Meditation. Uh, not the emptying of your mind like Eastern meditation, but what we're talking about when we talk about meditation is the dwelling on of God's word, ruminating on it, uh, sifting over it, thinking about it, repeating it to yourself, and even just sitting with it and, and, and asking God, what is this saying for me? What is this saying for my life? And then also journaling. Writing out what you're learning, wrestling with what's challenging for you from the scripture, just exploring that as you write out your thoughts together. There was a period of time where I uh, used Bible journaling to record scripture. I was writing out by hand the Gospel of John. And so I'd have my Bible open and I'd just write out word for word the Gospel of John, just like the scribes used to do in ancient times. It's a way of trying to help bring God's word deeper into my heart and life. So there's some practices you can do. Some, some disciplines you can engage in to help with your Bible saturation. But considering now, how do you develop this practice in your life? How do you begin doing this or how do you take a next step in doing this? I want to share with you a couple verses that I hope are encouraging for you. The first one is James 4.8. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the word, world. Sorry, between God and the world. So apart from this just being some good advice during a global pandemic, tells us to wash our hands, right? Apart from it being some good advice there, there's a promise here that I hope that you find encouraging. It says, if we come close to God, he will come close to us. He's eager to commune with us. So as you desire to, if you start to set time away, set time aside to practice your Bible reading and engaging with the scriptures, God is eager to commune with you. He wants to meet with you in that way. And we also see that this is something that Jesus did. He gave us an example in this. And if it was good for Jesus, it's good for us. Mark 1.35 says, Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place pray. I know that says he went out to pray. We also understand that Jesus was ruminating over the scriptures. He had so much of it in his mind that he was talking to God about it. We see his prayers are often so full of truth. And then also it tells us in Luke 5, 16, that often he withdrew to the wilderness, to lonely places, have time alone with God. So developing this practice of spending time alone with God, it's a real way that you can become more like Jesus. It's how he spent his time. He, how he oriented his life was to commune with God. And then we often see that he does that in times to recharge himself and to fill himself up as he's been pouring out to others over and over again. What a great example for us in a time where we are, many of us, pouring out to so many. Those of us with little kids at home, this is a challenging season. Spending time with God could be a way to recharge yourself, care for your soul, so that you can continue to pour out like you need to. So some steps to do this. Let me coach you up on this a little bit. 
this is a, a, something that I've, I've been real kind of hit or miss with in my life. There's been uh, seasons where I've just gotten to a real, real clear pattern and, 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 and been really, really consistent. And there's other times where I'm, I struggle on and off. Uh, and so uh, it, it's been, a, been a, a, a trial and error kind of thing for me. And some things work in some seasons and other things work in other seasons. And so I'd encourage you just to keep trying and keep finding what's right for you. Don't give up. Uh, this can be a challenge for sure. Uh, so the, the coaching points I'd have is first is to choose your time, to actually schedule this, plan when you're going to do it, put it into your calendar if you need to, set a reminder on your phone if you need to, whatever you got to do, but choose your time and schedule that. Uh, for some people, morning is the best time. That's historically been uh, something that's worked really well for me, but there was a season where mornings did not work for me very well at all. Uh, particularly when we had an infant at home and, and, and mornings were crazy. Uh, and so for then, I just found a different time slot that worked for me. Uh, like first thing, when I got into my office, I'd get in a little bit early and I'd sit down before I even open my laptop and start doing emails, I would spend time in the Word. Or in college, for example, uh, I wasn't getting up early then. Uh, so it was, that was really, that was a tall order. And so I would go to class and then I'd come back and I'd have a break before our next thing. And I would come back from class, I'd sit down and I'd do my quiet time. And so you can fit it in somewhere where there's a natural fit, where you can consistently have that time slot. Choose your time, schedule it. The second one was, is to, to pick your place. So set up your environment, have a plan for how you're going to do it, where you're going to do it, right? Uh, and so uh, sometimes I've had a special chair, a special spot that I would sit in. Uh, or, or if it's nice outside, I like to sit outside and do that. Uh, I always have a cup of coffee with me. I have a cup of coffee with me most times, but I particularly do when I'm doing my quiet times in the morning. And so I have a little routine that I do and how that all goes. I set the coffee pot for myself so it's ready to go in the morning. I get my cup of coffee and I sit down in my special spot. And it's important that it's in a place where, you're, where it's quiet and free of distractions. Another thing that I've had for myself in this is that I have a rule that I don't get on my phone before I've done my quiet time. And so I get up in the morning and turn off my alarm and then I do uh, this stuff. I get, get it all set and sit down for my quiet time and I don't engage with my phone until I've already done my quiet time. Now that works for me. It might not work for you. In fact, I know plenty of people who use their phone for their Bible reading. For me, that proved to be a big distraction, and I wasn't able to really dig in very well, and I got pulled into other things. And so, uh, paper Bible, put my phone down, that's what works for me. The third thing is to set your expectations. Uh, decide what you're going to do. Know your goal before you start. And so, is there a time amount that you're going to read? Is it going to be for 15 minutes? Is it going to be for half an hour? Is it going to be for 10 minutes? Whatever your goal is, right? Or is there an amount that you're going for? Uh, is it a number of verses or a couple chapters? Or are you working through a plan? There's plenty of good Bible reading plans out there. So, do you have a plan you're working through and you, you need to, you know, do that day's worth of, of the plan for the day? So, set your goal for yourself before you start. So, that way, you can clarify the when. You can know when you've met your goal for that time. And maybe you want to go longer, and that's fine if you do. And maybe it's not working and you need to set it down and say, that was my goal, I need to readjust, and I'm going to get back, I'm going to, I'm going to adjust my goal for the next day, whatever that looks like, giving yourself some space to do that. The, the fourth part is, to, the fourth coaching point would be to spend some time reflecting then. So consider what the Bible has said. What, what is it saying uh, that you need to take to heart. And maybe you engage in meditation or in journaling or something like that, or even memorization, if there's a verse that really is sticking out to you for something really relevant for your life right now. So you spend some time reflecting. And tying into this idea of reflecting, here are four questions that I would coach you to, to consider. Anytime you sit down with the Bible to read, consider these four questions. What does this say about God? So after you've read the passage, consider what does this say about God? God is the main character of the Bible. So every passage is telling us something about him. Even if he's not explicitly mentioned in the passage that you're reading, it's telling us something about him. And so consider what is it telling you about God? The second point is, what does it say about people? So this is God's story of redemption of mankind, and so it's telling us about ourselves. And so consider, what is it telling us about being his image bearers in this world? How we should reflect him to the world? What is it telling us about our sinful condition, or our attitudes of our heart? 
things that we may be believing that are wrong. And consider, is it telling you some things about how you should live, some actions you should take, some things you should believe? Third is, what is this saying about relating to God? So what does it say about how we connect with Him, how we relate to Him? So we're told to love God with our whole being. So what does what you're, how, how does what you're reading reflect that or, or, or enlighten that? What is it saying about how you should worship God? Is there some kind of way to praise Him? Is there repentance that needs to happen as you consider some things that you've done or, or it's shown you about yourself? Are there promises that you can claim from it? Is there something encouraging you can hold on to from God in that? And then also consider the fourth one here is, what is this saying about relating to others? God made us to be in community with others, and so he's giving us instructions about how to do that. We often don't do it right. We often don't do it in a way that honors him, and so we look to his truth to say, how should we engage with one another? And so consider if it's showing you some ways to love and serve others around you. Is it showing you some way to care for people that you, you could put into practice? So those four questions can really help you to, to explore God's word and consider for yourself and reflect for yourself, what is God calling me to do with this? What is he prompting me to do with this? This is how it moves from just a, 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 a ritual that we do or a, uh, just a gaining of knowledge, to how it moves to transformation as we consider these things. So I wanna give you last coaching points here. I wanna give you some resources how you can do this. Uh, one resource uh, we typically have available at our Welcome Center is called Today in the Word. Uh, and it's a, a little booklet that's pr produced by Moody, uh, uh, Moody Publishing. And you can get that and it's got every day of the month, it's telling you this is a passage and here's some devotional thoughts on that. Um, of course, we're not meeting together, but you could go to their website and get that. You can even get it online. Just go there and pull up your devotional thought for the day and read it that way. And it's got a verse to read and some thoughts, but it also has like a full chapter you could read to get more context. And so I encourage you, consider using Today in the Word. It's a very great tool available to you. Very simple. This is what you do today. Your goal is set. You know what your, what your goal is for that day. Another one uh, is the Bible app uh, from YouVersion, uh, put out by Life Church. Uh, this great resource available to you. It's a free app that you can get on your smartphone and, and you can read the Bible right there. And they even have plans available where you can say, I would like a plan that's going to take me through the Gospel of Mark. And you can find a plan that does that. Or you can go topical and say, I'm really dealing with anxiety. I'd like to deal with, I'd like to look at what the Bible has to say about that topic of anxiety. And you can get a plan from that and it'll tell you each day what you should be reading. You can even have it set reminders for you to prompt you to read. Put a notification on your phone or an email that you'll get in the morning, something like that. Uh, so consider the Bible app. If you don't have it already, that's a great way to engage with the scriptures. Uh, I'd also say for families, the Bible app, they also, YouVersion has put out a kid's Bible app. And so uh, if you'd like more information about that, if you can't find it on your own, uh, email me and I'd be happy to get that, help you get connected with that. Uh, it's a great resource for kids to help them begin engaging in God's word as well. Last thing, last resource I would point you to, and there's so many more I could, but the last one I would point you to is anytime we talk about reading, I know that there's plenty of people out there who are discouraged to say, I'm not a good reader. I don't read, you know, I have problems with reading. Uh, I'm a slow reader. I have a hard time understanding, whatever, what, you know, a lot of different reasons there. And I get that. And I'm very compassionate towards that kind of situation. And so let me encourage you to consider an audio Bible. In fact, you could use the YouVersion app and you can pull up the passage and have it read it to you. There's a button to just have it read to you. You can go to BibleGateway.com and pull up a passage. And again, there's an audio thing there. You can just click on the audio and it will read the passage to you. There's a way that you can engage with God's word. Several different resources available for you. So I encourage you to consider your practice and how you can set aside time to spend time in God's word, to saturate yourself in God's word. You know, we have a unique situation we're living through right now this time of uncertainty, this time of staying at home, right? Uh, and we have a unique opportunity before us to really develop our interior life, to really develop our personal spiritual health right now. So what if you came out of this time in quarantine having developed a new habit? 
What if you came out of this time in quarantine having developed a habit that will serve you now and for many years to come? I believe spending time in God's Word will serve you in ways that you can't even imagine right now, that it will bless you and encourage you and shape you to be more like Jesus. I pray that we are a church that saturates ourselves in God's Word. We are now going to take our offering, and you can do that several different ways. Either the link on the page that you're on, acchurch.org slash give. You could also go there. You could even mail a check in to the church if that's what you'd prefer. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for all that you've blessed us with. Thank you that uh, we have cheerful givers in, in our congregation. Thank you that we have uh, generous givers. And I pray that as a church that we use these resources well, that we would use them honorably, that we'll use them to advance your kingdom, to spread the gospel to our, to our friends, to our family, to our coworkers and our neighbors. I thank you so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We are now going to head into a time of communion. And what communion is, is we are remembering Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And so what you need to do is grab materials in your house to do this. Typically, it's bread and wine. Um, if you have bread and you have red wine, go for it. If not, you can use uh, a tortilla. You could use tortilla chips, uh, crackers. If you don't have wine, you need grape juice. Uh, it's in the morning. So if you want to do donuts and orange juice, that's up to you. Um, I'm going to be using cranberry juice and Pop-Tarts. And so you're going to have two minutes to go ahead and go grab stuff in your house right now. Uh, and if you get back during that time, if you could spend time in prayer, preparing your heart uh, to remember Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. The Bible starts out in a blissful garden scene where God is with his creation and there's no problems. It is completely peaceful. There's no disease, sickness, pain, suffering. Uh, humans are in the presence of God. Um, but it doesn't stay that way and it's not the world that we live in. Uh, check this out from Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The serpent was doubting what God had said, doubting God's word. <clears throat> Verse two, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. Satan was lying, trying to take away the punishment for sin. And then in verse 5, the serpent goes on, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was for good, was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She took and ate. And when she did, she brought a lot of pain into the human race, into the world. Um, and if you continue on in the story, uh, as you go throughout the whole, the whole scripture, uh, you see how this unfolds. It, it breaks relationships with her and her spouse, Adam. This breaks relationship with her and God. This breaks relationship with, with her in nature. Um, and we see that throughout the whole Bible. And we're actually going to play a game with the whole Bible right now. We're going to try to find the next time in the Bible that the words take and eat are put together like that. Take and eat, which, uh, which Eve did with the fruit. And so we're going through, uh, we're given a law, a standard for how to live. Uh, wait, what's there? Oh, no, it's not taken eat. But the humans fail and mess up and, and, and they keep living the rebellious lifestyle that Adam and Eve started. You know, God sends prophets. He sends deliverers. Uh, he, he waves his arms all over in the air saying, I'm God. I'm, I'm the one. Follow me. And over and over again, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. And it doesn't happen. But alas, we are here at take and eat. We're in Matthew 26. Uh, and Matthew 26, verse 26 says this. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks and offered it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood confirming the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I do not think it was an accident that Jesus used the words take and eat. Uh, what he's doing here is he's reversing the curse that was found in Genesis 3. The same words in Genesis 3 that brought condemnation, that brought pain and suffering. Those same words now, as Jesus was prepared to go to the cross, now bring redemption. Take and eat, which was once con condemnation, now take and eat is redemption. And he's reversing the curse. He's setting up a new humanity. You heard a new covenant, a new way of interacting with God, a new way of interacting with people. And when he went to the cross, he gave the ability to start something new. He took the one thing that ruined humanity and he killed it. He took sin on himself and on the cross, he put sin to death and started something new and something better. And so while Adam and Eve ate of the, of the evil tree, when we take communion, we eat of the good one. We eat of the different good tree. Um, and as the story of the Bible continues, we're now given instructions in, in how to live. What was once eye for an eye is now turn the other cheek. What was once love your neighbor, hate your enemy is now love your neighbor, love your enemy. Um, and it continues on until we get to the final revelation, Revelation chapter 21. And this is what is promised for all who eat and drink of the bread and cup. This is, this is what um, John sees in his revelation. Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or suffering or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And that is good news. There's no more virus, no more death, no more uh, bickering in relationships. All of that is gone. No more ugly divorces, no more ugly past mistakes. Everything is made new. Jesus promised himself, if you eat of his flesh and drink of his blood, you have eternal life and he will raise you up in the last day. And that's a promise. And so when we come to communion, what we're doing right now is we're coming to the place where we are eating of that better tree, of that better life, of that better covenant. And it seals the promise of someday when we will be in the presence of God again with no more suffering and no more pain. And now let's take and eat together as a symbol of the new covenant. We'll start with the bread. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and said, this is my body given for you. Let's take and eat. And in the same way, he took the cup. So this is my blood poured out as a con confirmation of the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink.
Father, I thank you so much that you sent your son Jesus to be a better life, to be, to be a better covenant, to be better loved, to, to experience all that you have for us in your son Jesus is just such a great experience. I pray as we just took the bread symbolizing Jesus's body crucified on the cross. Remember the sacrifice that he was putting my sin to death. And, and I thank you for the cup, the symbol of his blood, um, his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Um, thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Where every burden has been defeated And every wretched heart redeemed We drown our sin in seas of crimson It is so good to worship together And now I leave you with this benediction May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. Serve him. Oh, hey. hey. Uh, Yeah, I was... was just doing some important work here. Um, yeah, I guess we're, we're doing the office tour now, okay? Um, yeah, so welcome to my office. Uh, so come on in here. Let me, let me show you around a little bit. Uh, so we've got here, we've got my standing desk, uh, and it's pretty cool. It folds against the wall, so I can save some space, but when it's time to use it, I just pop it right up, and there we go. I've got my standing desk, and so I'll use that. Um, unlike Dave, I don't use it that much. I thought I would, but I'd really prefer to sit rather than to stand. Uh, but there's times, uh, I use it probably an hour or so a day, sometimes more, depending on what I'm doing. Um, but yeah, that's my standing desk. Then we can just fold it down. It goes back against the wall nice and tight. Over here, we've got my chair. This is a nice, soft, cushy chair. I've nicknamed this chair, The Word. Uh, and so I'll spend some time sitting and reading in it during the day. Uh, sometimes I'll fall asleep to take a nap, uh, but if somebody knocks on my door, it's, it's okay because I'm just spending time in the Word, right? It's good. See, see how I did that right there? All right. So also, um, I'll bring you over here to my desk. So this is my desk. I'll go over here. Um, I actually redid my whole office about a year and a half ago, and with Adam's help, uh, I came up with this, this idea for my desk. So this is straight from Ikea, and I made this whole thing for about 150 bucks. And so this uh, is, is an oak uh, butcher block uh, countertop, actually, that we, he helped, Adam helped me cut down and, and put together like this. Uh, and then these are just some Ikea cabinets that would make, make the base for the desk. So I wanted something that had a lot of surface space where I could spread out my books. Like when I'm studying for a sermon, I'll have probably four books open. I'll have like five, six pages of notes out here. So I want to be able to refer to all that and have that all out. So this helps me to have that space that I want. The other thing it does is it gives a little bit of space here when uh, like Simon and I are meeting or somebody else we're working together. He can have this space while I'm over here on my laptop. And so it gives me a little bit more usable space. Uh, You'll notice here I've got uh, a candle. Uh, This is a candle. I typically have a candle burning, especially if I'm doing study, uh, sermon study and things like that. Uh, and I have a pine tree scented candle that I absolutely love. And I use that all the time. Uh, it's, it just creates a cool environment for me. It's calming, it's soothing. Uh, but it also is just, um, it's, it, it just helps me to remember that what I'm doing is a really special thing. It's a really sacred thing, right? Uh, the, uh, the, the flame reminding me that, that God is present with me, right? Uh, just like he was with the Israelites as he went before them by a pillar of fire at night. Uh, and then also, uh, you'll see my office is a little smaller than Dave's, but I got the better deal as far as windows go. You'll see I've got the better view. So smaller space, but b- bigger window. I think, I think that was a decent trade-off. So I get to look outside at the field. It's good. And put that down for lighting. Uh, over here, you'll see uh, my bookshelf, some of my books at least, uh, and these are most of my reference books. Uh, just like Dave, I've got a lot of commentaries and, and, and things like that, um, Bible encyclopedias, dictionaries, things like that that I use as reference materials when I'm studying. Uh, and so uh, a lot of these books are uh, either they're collections that I'm still adding to. I'm adding more and more to that. In fact, I had to purge a whole bunch of books uh, when I cleaned out my office. I got rid of probably like 150 books, and so it's time to get rid of them. Uh, I also have more books down here. These tend to be more of just other ones that I've read or, or Christian living kind of books, things about faith and, and, uh, and, and family life and things like that and youth ministry. Uh, and so I've got those there. Uh, what else? Let's see. Um, oh, yeah, I've got my Petri dish. Remember, we had this as a sermon illustration about the evangelism culture we're trying to create, the outreach culture. I've got that here to remind me of that. I also have my bless bookmark here. This, uh, this surface I, I kind of use for just like some knickknacks and things like that to remind me. You see this beautiful picture of my family. Um, and uh, that was when our, uh, it was, yeah, just a couple days after Micah, our baby, was born. And so Micah's just over two now. Um, 
And then also you'll see my plant. Uh, this is the only plant I have in my office. Unlike Dave, uh, I am not good at keeping plants alive. And so this one was a gift from Carolyn Eider, our secretary. I've had that thing uh, since December. I think I've watered it four times since December and not at all in the last six weeks while I've been working from home uh, and, uh, and it's still alive. So that's the perfect kind of plant for me. Uh, I think that's some kind of cactus plant or something like that. I don't even know if it's a cactus plant. Actually, I just made that up. And so anyway, that's my plant. Um, so that's my office. This is my space. Um, oh, last thing I was going to say, I don't have much stuff on the walls. Uh, if you look around, um, about a year and a half ago, when I was redoing my office, we were going to get new carpet and we were going to paint in here. And those projects got stalled out. And so for a year and a half, I've been saying, oh, I should put stuff on the walls. Oh, I should put stuff on the walls. And I still haven't done it. And so uh, someday this office will be repainted and I will have a bunch of things on the walls. Uh, so thanks for checking out my office. Hope it was fun for you.